The Magnetic Project Manager by Edward Koch Jr. We have with us today the author of this awesome book, which is The Magnetic Project Manager. I'd like to say to Ed, welcome Ed. How did you form this idea of a magnetic project manager and what is the overall background of this book? Thank you, first of all, for allowing me to be here and share this information uh, with you guys. I'm truly appreciative. Um, the whole purpose of the book was creating um, what they call a attractive character. So I modeled this from Russell Bronson, um, where he talked about being the attractive character. And I looked at it from being more of a, a magnetic type cat character when you think of a magnetic it, it it attracts people to you and as a project manager you have to be attractive i'm not talking about looks even though i look sharp today but i'm just saying in general about being attractive as far as being able to lead not manage a particular team and so i wanted to ensure that uh, we always look at the technical aspects of project management but we miss and i we miss the soft skills of project management Got you, Ed. When I think about the a magnetic project manager, I have a tendency to think from your title that you're talking about the ability to attract. And how does one really attract? Are there some guideposts that you can give us for how to be an attractive individual versus being an unsavory individual? What's the opposite, Ed, of a magnetic project manager? Repelling uh, project? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I guess to be the opposite would be more or less of a, a project manager that is just there to get a paycheck or just to do a job. Um, that separates the, uh, that's why I say the first chapter, I started off really hard about a world divided by two types. And what I'm really trying to articulate there is about an exceptional project manager. What, what does it mean to be exceptional? Exceptional means doing what others won't do. Watch this, Phil and Daryl, so you can have what others can won't be able to have, even though the journey there is not fun. I was just having a conversation um, with someone um, yesterday regarding um, just the work we were, were we were leading. And we were both just confused, like why don't more people wanna collaborate and really um, not just say, this is my, you know, get away from titles and start stepping up and saying, how can we get this project over the goal line so we all can be rewarded successfully. So that to me is the opposite of of being a, a, a magnetic project, someone that is not really trying to uh, go above and beyond, and they're just there for a paycheck. Wow. I really like the analogy of the paycheck analogy, because isn't it true when that is your only focus, you're not really looking to add value. But when you're a magnetic project manager, the, the question of value seems to be implicitly answered. You you cannot be a magnetic project manager when you're just looking for a paycheck. Mm. You have to go above the paycheck mindset and syndrome. I like that. Daryl, do you have any questions that you would like to ask our friend Ed before we open it up further? And thank you for joining us today. Absolutely, Phil. So Ed, what inspired you to write this book? and focus on the magnetic aspects of project management. 
You know, Daryl, uh, first of all, again, I mean, you guys are asking a great question. I, it was a, you know, I'm just going to say this here. It was, it was the fear, not a fear that I held, but it was a fear that I was seeing other project managers having of they felt they weren't good enough or great enough. And they got confused on where I was currently at. Um, it's sort of like when you look at um, you'll look at a Steve Jobs or you'll look at um, a Bill Gates and everyone gets caught up in the accolades, but they don't they don't get caught up in when um, Steve Jobs looked at the IB, IBM and they had a mouse and he thought about, hmm, how can I make that better? They don't look at the journey. They only looked at the destination. And I believe that for me, I wanted to share the journey and not just the destination. Yeah, the, the PMP uh, certification was great to obtain. Yes, the CAPM and every other accolade that I've achieved along this journey. But uh, the journey was more important than the destination because of what it made me as a, as a person, just not in business, but as well as an individual. Awesome, Ed. Thank you really very much for that and sharing the thesis for the book. Let's jump into the very first chapter, A World Divided by Two Types, which you've mentioned. What are those two types again? The two types are uh, just, is being, to me, I'm just saying basic and exceptional, meaning that the exceptional project manager having the ability just not there for a paycheck, but wanting to deliver value and in return being able to get value and return to the business. Got it. Thank you very much. Let's move on to chapter two. It says relationships, a secret weapon. What does that mean? You know, one of the, the strengths that I realized on my journey was being able to cultivate. Now, that's the that's the key word, cultivate amazing relationships with people in return when they seen I was willing to do more than what was asked of me. And I was willing to support them, meaning um, go to bat for them when uh, everyone else may have been against their their ideology as far as, hey, I have an ideal. And I was like, hey, let's go let's go experiment with that idea, because a lot of times as as project managers, we they're, they're, they tell us we have control problems, you know, no judgment. But, yeah, OK, so we do. But uh, we still we still listen and being able to listen to our stakeholders to see what makes sense and willing to take a risk on the ideas that they've come up with. With and experiment with them. Mm. So those that aren't into developing these relationships intentionally, they are disarmed. They have no weapon, mm -hmm. which is dangerous. And you know what, Phil? I also um, I also looked at it from a biblical standpoint as well. When I looked at Don, uh, David and Jonathan, so uh, mm. David he couldn't he couldn't have the success that he had. Uh, without having Jonathan. And Jonathan honestly should have been what David was, but he understood the person that was in front of him had the, he had it. He had the exceptionalism of himself, but he didn't have the soft skills. He didn't understand how to navigate within the the kingdom. So I'm using that and I'm not trying to put, uh, force my religion on anyone, but I'm just using that as an analogy mm -hmm. to say the importance of being able to have you a Jonathan, someone like a Phil, someone like a, a, a Daryl to be able to say, hey, I, I like that point there. I really didn't, I really wasn't really liking it. Hey, have you ever looked at looking over here? So you, we need those relationships that to, to build us out. I love it. I love it. I love it. And the PMBOK guide, project management body of knowledge guide, they're very quick to tell us that the project manager uh, spends a long time, a lot of time communicating 
which is what excites me about this next chapter, communicating effectively. Can you give us some guidelines for this, Ed? How does a project manager do this even more effectively than, you know, than normal? Yes, Phil. So I opened up with a very powerful quote that I heard uh, by a gentleman named Brad. And he said, some people don't want to be fixed because being broken gets them attention. And I had to learn that as a project manager to have the ability to understand when people were really wanting to get fixed, meaning let's work through the problem versus not working through the problem. I don't know about you, Phil or Daryl, but um, I've noticed when um, you you have a problem, everybody can give you 10 reasons why on a particular solution that you want to give to the problem, why it won't work. Well, you know, it's about 30 reasons why this won't work. They never even looked over here at the one, uh, one or two that can potentially solve the problem. So it taught me a lot Mm -hmm. about the secret of communication. If we cannot have effective communication, meaning being able to arrest uh, the end user or stakeholder uh, with either our words or through email or teams or whatever vehicle that you're in, then it won't work. But my favorite communication is being able to have verbal because sometimes you may get construed on what the email says or what the team's Mm -hmm. chat may say or the Slack, you name the channel. And even if we have the verbal communication, it's always good to recap maybe two or three points. Hey, Phil, hey, Daryl, this is what we talked about. These are the three points. So we're aligned because when we have alignment, I don't know about you, but I never drove a car that didn't have an alignment because if it didn't (laughs) have an alignment within the tire... Uh, the car would just be wobbling it all over the place. And and the only reason why I know that, because I've seen it happen, we call those hoopties. But anyway, I digress. (laughs) Oh, dear. Thank you, Ed. And for those who are just joining and are watching, my buddy Ed here, he's the author of the book, The Magnetic Project Manager. We're really excited about this book. And uh, there's a lot of great insights for project managers. Whether you have been in the field for 20, 30, 40 years, you are going to gain some really awesome nuggets from this. And even if you're a beginner, you're just starting out project management, you definitely want to get this book right away. There's a chapter here that excites me because I'm a fan of Zig Ziglar, who's always big on a PMA. And your chapter four says maintaining a positive attitude. So it's one thing to have it, but how do you maintain it? Well, what, what instructions can you give a young project manager trying to get in the game? Yeah, you know, I want to give some tangible ones here because sometimes in, in uh, developing a positive attitude, um, we can get caught up in the shiny object syndrome of being excited all the time. Like, oh, maintaining a positive attitude means you're excited all the time. You're just so happy for life. Um, well, that's that's true and it's not true. Uh, so what I realize is some of the tangible things that has helped me along the journey is being able to be surrounded around like-minded individuals, individuals who are either further than you are or where you're at or where you want to go in life um, because it really, truly helps. Also, I realized being able to incorporate things that gives gives me that happy space. We talked about it on an earlier live about that, the importance of that happy space. And that happy space could be, for me, is being able to walk on the treadmill or being able to meditate or even... Even in a cook in a kitchen, being able to cook me some uh, some some Jamaican dishes that I enjoy, it's just finding that happy uh, medium. And sometimes, even if you can't see it, being able to visually, like I'm in a, a heated debate and I'm thinking, 
you know, will this even matter in five years? It probably won't. So won't I just calm down and listen to what's going on? Because sometimes our passion will invoke a frustration what it'll take away from our keeping maintaining that positive attitude. Wow. Will this even matter in five years? I love that, Ed. And honestly, that just makes me put on the thinking hat for the next one when we are at the table negotiating. That's a great question to open up every negotiation with. Am I going to pursue the small stuff that won't matter in the next few minutes or hours? Mm. Oh. So, so, so explain to us, what is the art of negotiating for those who are new to this whole topic? You know, what I'm noticing, um, especially in these days and times, Phil, is that you have to have an ability to negotiate. You even have to be able to negotiate in your personal life. But pertaining to this material here, the reason why I believe negotiating is, is really big is you have to negotiate for resources. There is a huge resource constraint that is going on within organizations. And being able to have the ability to talk to this manager and say, hey, Here's, and I want to give a very transparent example. I remember one time I said, hey, I really need that resource. I know you I know you sent over time, but Tom just he just he, he's trying to get up to speed. I work I work with John and he gets it. We move forward fast. I can work with Tom later. But for this project, we need this to happen. What will it take? And he was like, well, I say, hey, here's a here's a twenty five dollar Amazon gift card. Go go get you some. Or if you don't want the gift, here's another here's a different twenty five dollar gift card. You don't have to use Amazon. Go out to lunch. Lunch on me. Or I've taken out managers. And that goes back to a previous chapter. where We talk about building relationship. I've literally taken managers out to eat for lunch. Um, because it's it was a way because you have to have a persuasive attitude as a project manager. Um, one of the stories I've always shared was um, with my daughter in effect of that I played basketball and I would take a piece of paper and shoot it into the basket. And she said, why do you do that instead of just walking it over? And I said, well, what's the difference? She said, well, you're <laughs> shooting it and I'm walking it over. I said, well, but what is what is the difference? You're missing the point. The difference is the outcome. You know, the outcome meaning that we both got our pieces of paper in the trash. And when we got them in the trash, it handled the business of what we needed to handle. So being able to be masterful in negotiation will also transfer over to your personal life. Have you ever thought about when you're out somewhere and let's say uh, you're at a Starbucks and you say, hey, can I get 10 percent off? You know, my, one of my mentors taught me that just asking for 10 percent off and you never know. You know, my mom would always tell me a closed mouth. Don't get fed. Mm. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Let me ask Daryl. Daryl, so far, any mm. comments or questions for Buddy Ed? And so looking forward, especially in your book, you provided top tips for project managers on on how to communicate. Uh, clearly and engaging their teams and being able to influence other stakeholders. So mentioning AI, how could AI help in regards to negotiation tactics or what approach would you, I guess, suggest as human PMs would still apply even as AI alters the negotiation landscape within businesses and projects? Daryl, you always bring the, the questions that, that just sit there and make me think. So I appreciate that opportunity. Um, with AI, the way that I, I would leverage AI is having the ability to 
to go in and create a prompt. So one of the things I've done, uh, especially for the YouTube channel, um, Edward Coke Jr. Uh, YouTube channel, is being able to go in and take a put a simple prompt together to provide me a starting pad. It's it's hard sometimes when, especially if you're presenting to executives or presenting to anyone, uh, going in with a blank slate. But using AI to give me some talking points, even though, and you have to, one of the things too, I want to say this, Daryl, as a caveat, even if we're leveraging AI, we still have to know our material. So being able to go in and get some talking points to get me started, to get that engine going. When I was growing up in Michigan, um, before, and I'm probably going to tell my age here, but before we had the where you can start your car from inside the comfort of your home, you had to go outside and you shake and, ooh, it's cold out here. And you start your car out and you run back in the house and you let it warm up. And so I look at that, I leverage that analogy to say that is what um, AI allows you to do. It allows you to get your engine started up. It gives you some talking points in which you can expand on and expound on by saying, hey, this is the direction in which I'm going to take this conversation. And it's helped me a lot. I love AI. Um, I've learned a lot from uh, you, Daryl, as well as Phil, on the power of AI. I don't have a, a, a big team. It's just it's just me, myself, and I right now. And so as you're growing, leveraging AI to cut down on some of the tedious works has been a, such of a blessing. I and, and I it. wanted to oh. give you a, um, a comment, more of a... Of a kudos to you and, and the book um, as far as the science and how structured um, you mentioned in chapter two, the relationships as a secret weapon. Um, mm. The science, it was really well, well thought of in regards to how you want to chapterize this book. And you really took it in consideration of using AI um, mm -hmm. in the project management space. So I, I do thank you for that, for sharing your insights of keeping human relationships important and in the forefront of as a PM within within um, AI space. Thank you, Daryl. I appreciate that. And your check is on the way, by the way. I appreciate you so much. But no, seriously, um, you're, you're, you're right. Um, and I'm really standing on the shoulders of a gentleman named Phil um, without his tutelage and making the investment in him of, of really coaching me how to put a book together and really forcing me uh, to be uncomfortable um, to do this. Because uh, again, no one wants to be vulnerable. Nobody wants their work attacked. And for me to, to do this, I'm putting myself in a spotlight to be attacked. Now, it's depend on how I respond uh, from the attacks. Am I going to take it positively or am I going to take it negatively? And for me, I'm going to enjoy each moment of it because, as you know, anything in life is a progression, meaning a stair-stepping approach. So each step, I'm going to get better at writing my books. I'm going to get, I'm going to even find, you know, people that really like you and um, and Phil that really going to pour into me and build that confidence that you need to keep going. Do not stop regardless of what happens. So thank you. I love it. Thank you. Thank you, Ed. And honestly, you are a great project manager and a great individual to work with because Touchdown, the book is out. And I am really just so excited. I think every one of these chapters has something that excites me. The one that I know it definitely excites Daryl as well. In fact, I would wager that this is probably one of his favorite chapters, but don't let me speak for him. 
let me actually let him get to the chapter. <laughs> but Daryl, I'm sure you'll be, I'm sure you will be as happy as I am that there's a chapter about one of our favorite topics because we're always doing this and it's continuous learning and improvement. Let me just ask Daryl, Daryl, am I right in saying this makes you really, really happy in some way? <laughs> Absolutely, Phil, because as even as project managers or, or even in, our, in my personal life, you have to continue to learn. And honestly, I blame, I, I, I blame COVID for that um, because COVID really took a lot in us to where we had to seek our inner self and figure out what is it that we are looking for in life, um, whether mm. it be business, personal, professional. So not blaming COVID, but I blame COVID as that key factor of continuous learning uh, both personal and in your career. Wow. Thank you, Daryl. I kind of guessed, but I wanted to make sure. <laughs> so let me ask our author what a project manager who feels, well, I'm a PMP, I'm king of the hill. How does one balance that perspective of I did something great, but hey, Ed wrote a chapter six for a reason. You want to tell us the thesis of this, Ed? Well, you know, Phil, as, as I mentioned, I played, uh, you know, basketball. And uh, one of some of now, I guess, one of my basketball heroes, I'm mean, multiple, but uh, Kobe and Michael Jordan. The reason why I love these two is it's interesting. They made all of this money, but they were working harder or just as hard as the rest of the team. And it didn't make sense to me at the time. And so I said, you know what? Um, there must be something to this. And I just, it started with one of my mentors giving me a book and I think everyone has heard of it, but how many people have read it? It's called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And that really just accelerated me to, uh, I got obsessed. And when you become obsessed with something of you're wanting to constantly get better, yeah, it was it was great what I, what I did. That's why I start to quote off with Kobe about outworking your potential. Like I wanna be better. When we, when we have this, we talk about the next book that comes out, I better be able to articulate myself better. I need to be able to make sure punctuate everything is getting better. And over time, it still won't be good enough or great enough, but it will at least allow me to continue to put in the work and get the feedback so I can continue to on my journey of being exceptional. Wow. I love it. I love the idea of working, not the other person, yourself. Yes. Close the lid of your... Uh, potential. So I'm really excited about that. Thank you for writing that chapter. That is an awesome chapter. And, it, and then it goes in line with what we preach about in the world of agile, like the whole Kaizen thing. In order for there to be Kaizen, you should be willing to learn from your experiences. Let's go to number seven. I like this one because it's two very powerful words. John Maxwell, in the curriculum that we've all been studying, the real, how to be a real success, we talk about equipping people, but there's a double here in that we have not just equipping, but equipping for victory. Wow. So it's a double positive. One, you're being equipped. And two, it's for a great purpose. It's not just for battle. It's seeing the battle as being won. That's crazy. It's like, I'm not equipping you for battle. I'm equipping you to win the battle. And that's just mind blowing. So tell us, Ed, what is your idea behind this chapter and how can a PM apply it? You know, Phil, um, when I was younger, 
um, my mother came to me one day um, because, you know, I was having some challenges in school and I couldn't understand why I was having these these challenges. Uh, but I, I had a, I was guessing, but I didn't know. And she said something that was very powerful. And I, I would love to, to, to share that with here right now. She said, you know, son, um, you're you're focused on the battle, but it's more about the war. And that translated when she and, she, and then she unpacked it. And she said, uh, you're focusing on trying to win every t- uh, particular battle, whether that's conflict, whether that's, you know, from because you're very competitive. Uh, she said, but it's about the war that I mean, the, the end out game, meaning that the outcome. So once I, I changed my mindset and said, you know what, I have a beginner's mindset. That's why I tell the story about Sarah of having that beginner's mindset and that ability to be able to say, you know, what, I don't know it all. Yeah, I got a PMP. Yeah, I have more than a decade of experience uh, in project management, but I don't know it all. And and I and I thank God I don't know it all because it allows me to be willing to listen to people that may have less experience or even more experience than me to guide me on my journey. Because, you know, they always say, the good book says, you can learn something from a baby. (laughs) Absolutely. That's true. Great stuff, Ed. Let's roll straight into number eight while you're here. The house always wins. Who is the house? And are they on our side or are they against us? Tell me. You know, when I, when I uh, thought about that chapter, uh, Phil, it, it made me think about going to Vegas or your or a casino in general. And the reason why I thought about that, I said, you know, you go into the casino. Yeah, there are some people that win and have success. But the majority of the time, casinos won't be able to stay in business if everybody is winning, if everybody is, is having the, the success that the top percent has. And so I, I translated that message to um working into a, a small business, large business, medium-sized business. And I thought about it is that you have to understand the rules of the game. You have to understand the impersonal rules as, 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 as part of the game. You have to know what you don't know. And as I shared earlier, being able to see what is not being said, a mentor told me that I thought, oh man, that's so powerful. So I started paying attention to the rules that were not written in the vision or articulated in the objective. I said, oh, okay, John likes to work with me because I'm able to do X, Y, and Z with him versus another project manager. They could care less. They won't spend the time to get to know John. They only care about the initiative. And sometimes, not sometimes, all of the time, you need to care about the initiative as well as the relationship. Wow. Good stuff. Good stuff. I am really excited about that. And it just shows there's some unwritten rules that if you don't ask and probe, you're ignorant of it and it could hurt you. When you know the rules, you have a better chance of winning with, within the house, right? Okay, number nine, it says unleashing collective intelligence. So Ed, you wanna tell us what exactly the collective intelligence uh, thing is? Yeah, you know, I really wanna uh, drive from one of the chapters, I mean, excuse me, one of the pages of when I discuss about 
uh, expectation versus potential, but really more I want to um, stop and say about expectations. Uh, reason why a lot of people, whether in your personal or business life, gets frustrated is because of the expectation that was that they thought was going to happen. It was the expectation that you were going to deliver on that outcome. It was the expectation that you said that when you're you're going to be at this place at this particular time and you didn't show up now people are frustrated and it's, it just really shines a light. I really love the quote of the book. I don't want to share it because I don't want to give away, but Ralph Emerson really articulated the importance of looking inside yourself, really believing in yourself and having that self-confidence to unleash what's inside of you. Right now, this platform is giving me an opportunity to unleash what's inside of me, which I'm grateful for um, and I'm thankful. Thank you, Ed. We're almost at the tail end now, so let's take a look at the few topics we have left to discuss. Here we have a wrap-up, which is about you. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about your journey as a project manager, your signature story, Ed, because I know you got one. How did you finally decide to up the ante in project management? And at what point did you decide, okay, I'm going to go from being a paycheck person to being something else? You know, Phil, um, I really didn't want to do project management um, because I wanted to really uh, go into being more into sales or marketing. And I realized that project management is such a transferable skill because there's there's so many things from a cost standpoint to a people's standpoint. But my energy really comes from people. And when I realized that, I said, I can't leave the profession. I still can do things um, inside the vehicle that I can that I really enjoy doing. But I'm in love with, I'm obsessed with project management. And the reason why I'm obsessed with it is because of the people. The people are the drivers. Sometimes we forget of the importance of people. And when I realized that being able to invoke an emotion that really makes people think and make a decision, not a choice. Now pay attention because if we we go around making choices, it doesn't do anything because, but when you decide you make a decision. You so you know. Les Brown talked about either you know when someone says, "Phil, hey, I'll I'll try and make your meeting, or I'll try and show up to the Zoom meeting." Well, you don't try and sit down. Either you sit down or you don't. And so that's one of the things that I realize is that uh, either you're going to try this or you're going to make that commitment and not be interested. So I decided to make the commitment to go all in and going all in and still also chasing other passions. But it all comes back to this. And you have to be able to market in your emails. What did that look like, Phil? Being able to put a subject line that arrests the attention of your stakeholders that they want to open it. Because you can imagine, especially if you're executive, you're getting all these emails. But what if I had in the email, stop what you're doing? It's like, wait, who is this? Let me see what's going on. So I was able to take those skill sets and be able to apply it to project management. And I came my authentic me. I, I was able to be me. I get to laugh and joke and tell stories. And I have to admit, I'm long-winded, but it's because of the fact that I really enjoy this thing that we call project management. I love it. Thank you very much, Ed. Over the past number of minutes, we've been listening to our friend Ed 
the author of the book, The Magnetic Project Manager. You can find it at tinyurl.com forward slash magnetic project manager, just spelled out like that. And you'll be able to grab this book online. Also come in, we have audiobooks. We also have other materials and content that will be able to help project managers be uh, the best version of themselves and be magnetic. We also want to encourage our friends across all of the Project Management Institute chapters. If you're looking for an engaging speaker, a coach, someone that can help people to get to that next level and to be more aware of it, we would like to ask you to invite Ed as a speaker. You're going to find his information below. Ask him just via LinkedIn or email. He will be more than happy to come and speak to any of the chapters. My friends in the Texas region, right? Whether you're in Dallas or Houston or any of those cities and even beyond, um, send a, an email to Ed and he'll be very happy. So Ed, what is the best way people can get a website to see you on or your YouTube page? It's youtube.com forward slash at Edward, yeah. Edward Coke Jr. Edward Coke Jr. Yes, Edward Coke Jr. Or LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn as well, Edward Coke Jr. Um, I'm there. Um, I'm, I just got onto Instagram uh, and I'm also on Twitter as well. Uh, so I won't be hard to find if you're looking for me. I'm, I'm here to be found because I really want to be able to do something where um, I'm not coming in to take. I'm coming in to give. And there's a difference. Everyone is coming with their hand out. I'm not coming with my hand out. I'm coming with open arms and saying, how can I add value to you? Thank you, Adam. For those getting ready for the PMP exam, if you're looking for a coach and someone that can help you to get to that level of PMP, like Ed has done, he's done the CAPM, he's done the PMP, please reach out to him and ask for coaching, help, mentoring. He will help you get to your goal as he has. Thank you very much. Daryl, I want to say thank you for joining us today. And um, we're definitely going to be tapping into your understanding of the book. Because, Daryl, what page are you on in this great book? I'm on chapter three, Phil. Wow, <laughs> he's mowing it down. So, Daryl, tell me, just share with me one more aha. I know you shared it with us. Maybe share with us the same one, I, I, whichever one you want. But what is a big aha moment for you from that book? The big aha moment for me is emotional intelligence mm. on how Ed really focuses on on that type of uh, skill. I love it. I love Thank it. Daryl, there's a quote. I'm going to ask you to, to read it again. That quote is my aha moment for the day. I love, I, I can't even put it in the same way it has been put. And I think it's, for, you put in a quote, Ed, from Bruce Lee, right? Bruce Lee. Mm -hmm. Do you know where that quote is in the book? Daryl, can you read it to, to our listeners? Maybe they can have this as their final takeaway after all the great stuff we've heard today. <laughs> Absolutely, Phil. That's so on page five. Um, so the quote starts out as, if you always limit everything you do, physical or anything else, it will spread into your work and life. There are no limits. There are only plateaus. And you must not stay there. 
You must go beyond them. Quoted by Bruce Lee. What, what an awesome quote. Thank you, Daryl. And again, to our author and speaker, thank you very much. Ed, looking forward to hearing more about the book and how it's been affecting lives. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Daryl. Thank you, Phil. I, I truly appreciate you guys.